ahead and uh, get started <clears throat> this morning. Uh, this is our final class of the uh, Congregational Counseling uh, Session or Biblical Counseling Session, and we're talking about Congregational Counseling. I'm going to break the rules a little bit and have my drink up here because my voice is going away, so um, pray for me that I be more obedient to the laws um, of the gym. Um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this series of lessons uh, as we are encouraged, <clears throat> as we are uh, compelled to um, take responsibility in uh, counseling and pouring the word over our neighbors, our friends, our family. Use us in this endeavor. Give us wisdom and understanding. Give us strength. Give us courage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this fourth and final session together is on congregational counseling. <clears throat> we'll begin with a common false assumption that Christians make about professional help. Many Christians think that discipleship and the care of other Christians is the responsibility of the professional counselors and not the responsibility of the congregation. There was a young lady at a church that was struggling, and one of the wives in the congregation was starting to get deeply invested in the young lady's life. Mind you, it was costly for this wife and her family, but she was, with her husband's guidance, modeling sacrificial gospel love for the sake of the gospel. She was having this young lady over their home for meals. And when things were rough, the wife would have her sleep over their house. <clears throat> At one point, this young lady's struggles got so severe that the wife called an evangelical psychiatrist who was involved in the whole situation. She asked a fairly basic question. To what extent should I, as a layperson, be involved in this young lady's life and her problems, especially since they are fairly severe. The psychiatrist was quite direct in his response. Stay out. Aside from praying, leave it to the professionals to take care of her. Is that right? When someone is having a difficult time, should Christians leave the person alone and let the professionals handle it? I want to argue today that the congregation has a responsibility to disciple and care for one another with God's Word. Members of the same local church have a fundamental responsibility to counsel the Word to one another. Where do we get this in the scriptures? There are a number of places that we can go, but the most basic place to start is the one another's in the scriptures. John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give to you, 
love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Romans 12 and 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Romans 13 and 18. Let no doubt remain outstanding. I'm sorry. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Romans 15 and 7. Accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Romans 15 and 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Ephesians 4 and 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4 and 23. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as, Christ, just as in Christ, God forgave you. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. These passages are speaking to Christians. The general direction of all these texts is to oblige Christians to love one another. To be devoted to each other to honor each other, to accept each other, to be patient with each other, to be kind, compassionate, and forgiving, and even to instruct one another. Making disciples and counseling God's Word is supremely the work of the church, not the professional parachurch counselors. We are very grateful for parachurch counselors and professional counselors. There are a lot of good and faithful Christians doing great work in discipling and counseling believers who struggle with difficult problems. These parachurch workers are a great aid to the kingdom of God and the furtherance of the gospel. Yet one of the, one of the downfalls is that Christians assume that the really bad stuff has to be handled by the professionals and that we should back away. Some Christians too quickly pass off difficult situations to professional counselors outside of the church, not really thinking how that makes a statement about the power and the effectiveness of the gospel and God's work in local congregations. Most Christians want to save face and wear a mask when they come to church. They are afraid of exposing themselves at church, probably out of the fear of man or the fear of rejection. They would rather be vulnerable with a counselor in private practice than open up their lives and then open up their lives to those who they see in church every week. Why do you think this is the case? The church is the best context for discipling and counseling others. The church should be the normative place for Christian relationships and Christian discipleship and Christian counseling. 
I want to contend that the church is the normative place for Christians to work out their problems. When you want to face, when we want you to face your difficulties in the context of a loving Christian community. Where else would you do it? <clears throat> Where else, when you're dealing with stuff, I mean, how, how does it work out for you when you're talking about your issues and your problems with unbelievers? They just, do they make you feel better and just bring this overwhelming sense of joy? The church, your Christian brothers and sisters, those that have been redeemed and changed and understand the love of Christ should be the people that you walk those things out with. A catchphrase that is often used by churches is creating a culture of discipleship. By culture, it is meant that the whole personality of the congregation is one of making and shepherding disciples. Our hope is that every member of Christ's community catches a vision for this type of care. That we have a responsibility to care and counsel one another with the word. How does this culture come? It's certainly not through a program. It is something that you would hope is ingrained in the church's DNA. Our goal is to work to set that expectation with each other. That members are supposed to care for one another in the Word, and it will be done by a few things. Teaching these expectations to members by helping others catch this idea as they themselves experience the fruit of someone pouring into their own lives. By teaching members how to handle the Word thoughtfully and carefully. By teaching members how to apply the Word in each other's lives. A centerpiece of this discipleship culture are the members learning to teach one another from God's Word with the goal of growing in personal holiness. You as a member are called to counsel the Word to one another. Whether you realize it or not, you are a soldier who sits on the front lines of the battle in this discipleship culture. The front line of the battle is the conversations that take place every day in your home, over your lunch meetings, in daily conversations with your children, with your spouse, and with fellow members in your Bible study. The congregations uh, on Sunday mornings when we get together and we go through uh, the weekly discussion, on Wednesdays when we're in our community groups, at home, those are the front lines of this battle of discipleship. All of life involves counseling, and each of these opportunities gives us a chance to counsel the Word to one another. If people have at least one or two people in their lives who are willing to share the ugly details about life, to be open and honest about the struggles that we all face, to hold one another accountable, to admonish, encourage, and exhort one another, then God can use these experiences to shed light on the dark and confusion that sometimes invades our lives. Has anybody dealt with any darkness before? <laughs> so, using that analogy, one step back from the front line are wise and godly older men and women in the faith who take time to pour themselves into the lives of younger Christians. These are the captains and generals of the faith who, by their wisdom and experience, direct soldiers in battle. 
we need, that's essential. We need more older people in the faith to pour out to younger Christians. Um, and it's, it's not always, uh, the, bur- the burden is not always on those older men and women. Sometimes we as younger Christians need to seek them out. Uh, when you see this need, if, if God has given you the wisdom to understand that you need somebody to pour in your life, look for somebody. Seek them out. Talk to them. Any culture of discipleship that encourages younger members of the faith to seek out their wise older ones will honor Christ by making uh, good use of the rich relational resources that God has built inside of the church. Carrying that war analogy to one final step, we need to think about counseling, the counseling room as the mash unit that sits far behind the front lines. Do anybody remember that show, MASH? Are y'all too young for that? You know, you remember that. Betty remembers MASH. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> um, so the MASH unit sits far behind the front line. It is only when people are beating up, beating up, bleeding, or maimed so badly that they are no longer useful in battle that they, most, that they must get sent to seek medical help. Most people only retreat to the counseling rooms when their problems get too far out of hand. That they are at a complete loss for wisdom or can no longer tolerate their own struggles. As biblical counselors, we do our best to patch them up and help heal them. Then in a Christian war, we send them back into battle. You come into the mass room, you get whatever you need because you can't stand about it no more. You get prepared, and you're sent back out to the battle. The congregation might choose to set aside some people who have a pronounced gift in counseling to care for members in the congregation, but this war analogy helpfully shows us that gifted counselor, those gifted counselors sit in the back in the mass unit. Every member has a responsibility to counsel one another with the word, and therefore those who sit at the as Those who sit at the front lines of the battle are the regular members of the church. I want to pause here to take any questions that we may have so far. Yes, ma'am.
Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah, and the goal, I guess, would hopefully be, you talked about those three circles, those that you can bring your issues to that you trust, uh, those maybe on the outer circle that you said will just pray for you, and those on the even uh, further away circle who would just, you know, run away and gossip and, you know, point, point things at you. Right. What, what the goal would be is for us to communicate and uh, help train um, the responsibility to the congregation to be that inner circle to be those who are wise enough to give that counsel to, you know, whatever it may be, to also pray, but to be able to give that counsel to handle each other. And also uh, working directly with the pastor, of course, and we'll get into a little bit of that, you know, here later on. But that would ultimately be the goal, that we will be a church of counselors, that when people, our friends, our families, our neighbors need some biblical guidance, they know who to go to. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Right. Yeah. Any other comments, questions? Emotional outburst, Bruce. You good? Okay. All right. The natural reaction that most people have is to set to see the list of problems counselors typically deal with: depression, marital conflict, guidance questions, who do I marry, what do I do with my life, sexual temptation anxiety, etc., for people to see those issues and say, I don't know how to help. I don't know what to do. I can't do this. I have no skills in this area. I'm not Jared Gibson. I mean, if you are a Christian who seeks to live faithfully and to live according to God's words, you can help in almost every situation. You can't necessarily fix the problem, but you can find ways to help them in their struggle. So let's take the example of one problem, marital conflict, and let's think a little bit about it together. So we're going to get a little interaction. Suppose you had a fellow church member who met up with you for lunch, and he or she confessed that he or she was struggling in their marriage and needed some counsel on how to deal with the marital conflict. Let's take a moment to brainstorm together. What are some questions that you could ask? This is the interactive part. <clears throat> so if you were dealing with somebody who, who came to you and said that you're, I'm sorry, what kind of problems are you having? Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. How long, right? Mm-hmm. 
Right. What are some other questions that we can ask? Is someone else involved? Where would you go to in Scripture? What's some Scriptures that would help with marital conflict? Romans 7 and 8. Anybody else? Nobody's ever dealt with marital conflict, I see. Are you praying? Okay. Right. What godly counsel could you give them? Are you praying together? That's a good piece of that. What? I'm sorry? Repent. Any other advice? Right, right. So do y'all think that these things that have been brought up is good counsel? You think that that's pretty good? The scriptures and the questions and the advice that we just gave for a marital conflict, do you think that's pretty good? I can say something. It's okay. It's all right. Yes, no. Do you think it's okay? It's the beginning. It's a good start. All right. Have any of you guys who gave those uh, suggestions been trained in counseling? You got a certificate? There you go. There you go. Yeah. But you probably read your Bible a couple times. You probably had to deal with some stuff yourself. This, these, this stuff isn't something that takes... Um, a degree or a schooling to do. You just have to be willing to be selfless, give some time to your brother or sister, be in your word, pray. Some of the questions that you can ask, how long has the conflict been going on? When does it typically happen? Describe your last fight. 
get your hands around the specifics. It's easier to talk about the specifics of somebody's life rather than speak in generalities. Do you enter discussions with a mentality that you are right and the goal is to convince that your, sp- your spouse that you are right and that he or she is wrong? Ask a question that goes after the heart motives. In your last fight, what were you desiring, coveting, hoping for? How did your desire lead to conflict or ruin the conversation? You could start with James 4, 1 and 2. James starts with the question, what causes fights among us? And he answers, is it not the desires that battle within you? When we fight, we tend to see our spouse or our coworker or our friend or family member as the opponent, and the goal of the fight is to convince them that you are right and they are wrong. You are directed outwards. They are the enemy, and the focus of your attention is, get, is on getting them to change. When we fight, we often see the other person as the problem. James points out to us that it is not the other person, but our own desires and motives that are the source of the problem. With that one simple step, we have used the Scripture to take the focus off the place where we are usually incorrectly focused on the enemy and puts the focus in its proper place back on our own hearts. What causes fights and quarrels among us? Is it not the desires that battle within you? To ask the questions that we ask and to explain the passages that we studied does not require you to have a professional counseling degree. With a little common sense, which is not so common, with a little practice and a lot of deliberateness in being involved in other people's lives, you can do everything that we just covered. You can ask questions, and as you continue to ask questions, you can grow in your skills and giftedness in asking. As you study Scripture and attempt to apply it in your own lives and the lives of others, you can grow in your abilities to understand the text and see its relevance for daily living. You might feel like you are not able to do this type of thing, yet we want to argue that if you are a Christian and you are willing to try, God will grow you in your ability to do these things. What is usually lacking is not the ability to do these things. To ask questions, you need common sense. To apply scriptures, you need time in the Word and a desire to be faithful as you apply the biblical text to people's lives. What is usually lacking outside of a virtue of selflessness and our obedience to value more people, people more highly than ourselves, what's usually lacking is the confidence to be involved in the lives of other people because we are fearful of what it might lead to. God has given you everything you need through His Word and with His Spirit to help others. You don't have to be afraid. I want to encourage you as your brother and co-laborer, as we sit on the front lines, be courageous and invest yourselves in other people. I think you will be delightfully surprised at the fruit that will come by you taking the risk. There, are, there is a lot of emphasis being placed on the importance of you as a member being invested in the lives of others and counseling the word to one another. But just for the sake of clarity, 
we want to clarify a few things. What I am not saying is that you have to sort through other people's problems on your own. That you as a member have to deal with this without any help. That our leadership really doesn't care about counseling other members. That our leadership expects you, the members, to fix each other's problems. God has given us rich blessings by providing under-shepherds, pastors, elders for our churches. These are godly men who seek to provide counseling and encourage, uh, through the encouragement through the public and private proclamation of God's Word to God's people. They are charged with the responsibility to feed and guide the sheep, much like a real-life shepherd is his own sheep. We would be fools if we don't take advantage of the fact that God has provided these men for us, for our spiritual good, to assist us as we grow to become more faithful disciples of Christ. Our elders want to help, so don't be afraid to go to them in times of difficulty. What you will most likely discover is that elders will usually say that they wish they were involved in things sooner. Too often, people wait until the problems get too far along before they ask for help. So when do you turn to a pastor in the midst of helping someone else with their problems? There's no exact formula here, but allow me to give you some generalities. If you know the person's problem is significant and that no one or really very few people knows about it, you can either encourage them to speak with a pastor or get permission to talk to a pastor on their behalf. If you are feeling overwhelmed with the problem and don't know how to handle the problem, if you don't know where to go in Scripture or how to apply the Scripture to a particular problem, if you are afraid that this person is going to do spiritual or physical harm to themselves or to someone else, and that you need help slowing them down, if you feel that another person is out of control with their sin, if you feel like another person's sin is public or scandalous, if you want guidance on how to help someone else, keep in mind that in order to talk with one of these elders, you'll want to be careful not to promise confidentiality. A person might start a conversation with, I'm going to tell you something, and you must promise not to tell anyone else. If they do that, you can graciously respond, I'm sorry, but I never promise absolute confidentiality. I just ask that you trust me that I will seek to do whatever is wise with the information given. If and when you talk to one of the elders, you are not trying to pass the problem off to your pastor. No matter what the situation is, my plea with you is to stay involved. Uh, some things that we're dealing with will take more than a conversation and a prayer to get over. Um, not all sin issues are resolved overnight, over a week, over a month. Um, I'm a part of a, um, a group of uh, men um, that um, we fellowship on Thursday nights, and we kind of talk about our problems and counsel each other. 
and um, help encourage each other uh, through sin issues as we seek out to, to live, live out biblical manhood. And some of the issues that we deal with are the same issues we dealt with um, time and time again for seven years straight. But we're there for each other. We encourage one another. We pray for one another. Punch one another in the mouth when we need to, literally. Um, so the plea would be not to just hand it off to Jared or Lanny and you not deal with it anymore. You as a brother or sister need to be there for each other, to walk alongside each other uh, as we seek out to, to, to distance ourselves, to eliminate, to eradicate sin issues from our lives, and to live out um, our calling as Christians. So in conclusion, we have seen how biblical counseling is a fundamental responsibility of every Christian. Fellow members in a local congregation are called upon to disciple and counsel one another with the Word of God. We don't take this responsibility lightly, but we want to take seriously the opportunity to provide godly counsel to others. As we continue to take advantage of opportunities, we will grow in our understanding and skill in asking good questions and ministering or applying Scripture to one another. We want to turn to our pastors at the appropriate time for help, but we also want to stay involved and not simply pass the problem off to the elders. That's the end of this session. There, uh, there is a book and a study guide uh, around um, instruments in the Redeemer's hand that I think that would be helpful uh, to, to go through. And so we want to um, just kind of gather some interest. Uh, I'll put a post about it on, on Realm to see if anyone wants to go through the rest of that book, uh, maybe like in a group study or something uh, outside of our normal um, church activities. Uh, so we'll post that on Realm to just kind of, you know, gauge interest. And, uh, and if uh, people are interested in that, that's something that we can look into. Jerry's just found out about that. He went at the meeting Wednesday, Thursday. Um, any other questions about anything that, that we said? Any counseling questions? I'm going to push them all to Lanny. He knows everything. He's the professional. Was I that good, Bruce? You don't have any questions about anything. I was clear. I was concise. All right. All right. So let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for this opportunity to learn together uh, that it's our responsibility to counsel one another using your word that you have called us, commanded us in your scriptures to do so. That you have given us the grace to be here, to try to learn some skills, to try to... Um, get some points on how to do this. We ask that you would be with us as we continue to seek this, that as we take what has been given and live it out in our daily lives, we pray for strength. We pray, we pray for courage to say those things that need to be said. We pray for grace, 
graciousness, for lovingness as we deal with these things. We ask all of this, we do all of this for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen.